Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 38 of Across the Pond Marketing Transformed. My name's Chris Lawson in London, UK, and I'm joined in Philadelphia on the east coast of USA by Samuel Moni. Say hi, Sam. Hey, Chris. How are you, sir? Good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay, actually. Uh, uh, lots going on over here, as I um, can imagine there certainly is in the States of a moment, but uh but, but yeah, constructive week, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, time recording here, just have to be transparent with the audience. There's um, social unrest and challenges happening. And while we try and keep this marketing transformation focused, a lot of topics really talk about, you know, humanity and, and people. And that you're going to see that woven in a little bit. But um, let's let's just get into the topic of today's episode, which I think is highly relevant. Yeah, absolutely. So, so last week we looked at, creating a sustainable marketing future and and I, I think you know in summary if we seize the initiative I think the future can look bright there were some inspirational stories from people's companies and organizations uh, but what was clear was that you have to act with purpose you have to have that clear we also looked at a practical action plan which I think we will explore a bit further but one area that we didn't cover was how you can embrace that entrepreneurial spirit as a business owner or as a marketeer uh, what inspiration can we draw and what do we practically do in our day-to-day living? Uh, and I'm, I'm going to start off with a story, Sam, about a company called Olio. But um, yeah, just wonder whether you had any thoughts. Yeah, I think this idea of the entrepreneurial spirit and, and weaving and having purpose in a DNA, it, it seemed perhaps a bit fanciful and a bit far off. But I think in the last few months, this space has become so well established and so proven and touched so many people's hearts that absolutely... Now it's not a side or a niche or a, a fluffy topic. It really is going to be the core of what a lot of people want to stand for in in their lives and in their professional lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. So uh, something that we talked about was good stories. And I, and I think this is a this is a great story. I, I had the pleasure of working with a, a lady called Tessa Clark back at the early days of digital in 2000. Uh, she set up a company called Olio with a partner, Sasha Celestial One. That, that is her name. It's a, an amazing name. I'd love to find out a bit more about that just to start off with, to be honest. And, th- and their vision for the company is for millions of hyper-local food sharing networks all around the world. Uh, they believe that Olio can help create a world in which nothing of value goes to waste and every single person has enough to eat without destroying the planet in the process. Uh, And the goal is actually to get a billion people using the app in 10 years' time, uh, which I I think is is a a, a fantastic ambition. You can sort of suddenly see how much Mm. impact there is. They they co-founded it in 2014, both with a strong passion for food and waste. Tessa grew up in a farm, 
and and therefore saw very much about sort of food production and how to how important to minimize waste was from that well sasha apparently grew up from a relatively poor family who who upcycled and resold things that others were done with so it's probably embedded within both of them the sort of the, the principles and the purpose that they wanted to achieve and and since launching the app in 2015 there, there's been over 4 million uh, portions of food shared in 49 different countries. And, and I certainly wasn't aware about the, the, the countries, the, the global appeal put of it. And, and simply put, when you think about it, a third of all food is thrown away, um, which is just staggering. And that, mm. that's worth trillions of dollars, yet one in nine people go hungry. So, so that, that, that maths doesn't work there. You know, if there, if there was an equation, you could quite easily just redistribute and, and it would work out well. But interestingly, this, this a bit that sort of sta- uh, I was staggered by was that only 2% of the waste is at supermarket level um, and half of all the waste is at a household level. But again, it sort mm-hmm. of makes sense. It, from a business perspective, you look at efficiency. Um, waste is part of efficiency. So it makes sense. So average household throwaways a quarter of their weekly shop and that in the uk is 15 billion pounds a year which is which mm. is staggering so i love the fact that they have actually focused not just on the, the the supply chain from from a corporate perspective but focusing very much from a household they've got a million users um now with a mindset to share food um, recently got featured in the Royal Edition of Vogue, which was edited by the Duchess of Sussex, um, so certainly winning awards. Uh, but, uh, but the bit that I actually like is not only are they making an impact on global scale, um, they are making a very, very real impact as well. There's sort of case studies, mm. uh, uh, one lady claiming that since she started using the, the app, she's managed to cut a food bill down from £400 to £100 per month, which okay. is which is life changing and mm. and i and i like the fact that this is uh you know so two ladies that have, have come from sort of different backgrounds taken so sort of corporate careers and thought actually we want to sort of tackle this problem head on with a really mm. really ambitious goal to achieve it as well so so uh yeah i, I thought i'd start off there sam yeah chris uh, great story and as you're telling that story it it reminds me of i feel one of the biggest failures i've had in my career was working on a project with a brand where the there was an opportunity to actually seed and, and imp- embed food waste as a key solve that this brand was actually a part of and how this brand could was making strides on and I'd been working on a project with some of the marketers in that team. We'd made great pro- progress, but there were some leadership changes. And we just, the project fell away. It, it, it just didn't get any priority. New leader came in, wasn't receptive. And what frustrated me even more, went back to the CMO and he just wasn't feeling it. He just wasn't a priority, a very operational driven leader. And this meaningful purpose-driven opportunity to be part of the food waste solution just didn't make it. And I regret not trying harder and not doing more to make that happen. And as we think about that in the corporate environment, I know a lot of the listeners and, and uh, are working in that space or know people in that space. I take comfort and confidence from Unilever because they're in their 10th and final year of their sustainable living plan. 
Now, in their words, this wasn't a sustainability plan. It was a plan for successful, sustainable business. And the new CEO, Alan Jopp, um, has reinforced their commitment to, to sustainability leadership, and he calls for renewed action to tackle social inequality and the climate crisis in a post-COVID world. So I said they, they're in the final year, but obviously the story is going to end, I think, in a, in a good place because they've got over 28 sustainable brands, which include Ben & Jerry's, Domestos, a cleaning brand, Dove, which we know the... Um, the soap brand and um, beauty care, Hellman's, mayonnaise and other products, Love Beauty and Seventh Generation, which are uh, other brands in their portfolio. And they continuously show that those brands have performed above the market um, on a consistent basis, and they all happen to have purpose as, as a core to them. Now, they've been able to save over a billion euros in costs through their sustainable living plan through energy efficiency, water improvements, better performing factories and platforms such as Loop and Algramo. Uh, the company just says they're, they're now Unile their new Unilever Sustainability Living Living Plan has been a key factor in attracting the best people to join their organization, partnering with NGOs and government organizations and other, other businesses. But guess what? They're completely honest about their success and their failures. They're proud of their achievements, but they, they're on record. Go to their website. You'll see that they've said, look, we haven't met every one of our targets. Mm. We haven't achieved all our goals. They found it really difficult to measure the actual impact of many of their programs to, to really improve livelihoods and enhance opportunities for women. So they're saying, look, we're not, we're not hitting it there. Um, they've, they've underestimated the challenge of how it is, how they're able to change consumer behavior they they had targets for greenhouse gases and water, but they haven't substantially changed the way people wash their clothes or take showers. They've they've launched products which require less water and work in different ways, but they haven't brought enough innovation to the marketplace. So their new strategy is called the Unilever Compass. Now their ambition is to be the leader in sustainable business globally, impacting eight billion people with nine imperatives and fifteen multi-year priorities. So. 10-year plan in the final year, a, a bigger ambition, a, a bigger goal. They're doubling down, transparent about their failures, about where things are not going well, but still have that longer-term commitment. And that inspires me and hopefully inspires other marketers. Well, that's, that's inspired me, Sam. For, absolutely. And it's good to see action at both ends of the industrial scale there, I think, as well. And and also, uh, when you were saying that their plan was coming to an end, I was thinking, oh, well, that's a, that's a bit disappointing. And it uh, looks like an even more ambitious plan for the next um, 15 years as well. But but also, it, it made me think about two points as you were talking um, there, Sam, but the first one, I think, is around uh, profit with purpose and the fact that actually it is okay to make profit and um, have a strong purpose at the same time. Um, and funny enough, that's something that I know sort of Tessa talks around as well. Uh, and and interestingly, looking at some of the sort of charities uh uh, just giving, I think, is really interesting. It's, it's a platform. I think you have that in the States as well, don't you, Sam? Um, mm. I mean, they operate as a profit-making organization, and, and there's a quite a fair amount of criticism at some points in terms of actually uh, are they making too much profit out of sort of charities? But but more charities, fundraisers, 
actually use that platform because even net of the fees, then they're cheaper or, or, um, or more effective than some of the free alternatives. And, and I think that's in itself is fascinating. I think the, the second point is, is around competition as well. I mean, Unilever have, have certainly got a market category um, leading competi- um, position there. Um, but I think just looking back at Olio again, uh, it's, it's amazing. There's a list. There's Food Cowboy, Food Loop, Meal Sharing, Zero Percent, We Save Eat, Too Good to Go. You know that, that's a, that's an interesting sort of group of competition there. And I think one of the trends we may well see is as actually that we might find that there's more a need for more partnership to survive. Um, and the sharing economy is an interesting one. You know, I'd be really fascinated to ask Tessa about do the same rules for competition apply? And hopefully we will get her on the show when we look at our next series of podcasts and we bring some uh, experts or case studies in. Um, so, yeah, two points there, Sam. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm for, all for it in this space, Chris. As, as you're talking about it, I'm getting more energised and thinking of, of examples that we can see around us or take inspiration from. Intermarché was a French grocery store. They came up with the idea of actually selling the fruit and veg that was called were ugly, that you might throw away or not seem presentable to consumers. Instead of throwing it away and contributing to the food waste we were talking about earlier, they've actually turned it into products they sell to consumers, a multi-million dollar revenue stream. And that a few years ago, that was a new and novel idea, but that's basically been copied and emulated by so many other stores and the rest of the industry, which is great. Tom's, which is a brand we all know for buy one, give one shoes. They've now recently moved into coffee products and exploring um, effective media buying with purpose attached. And one of the things they've done is a tie up with a, a company called Goodloop which basically takes um, video creative and wraps it around an ethical ad player, which carries branding, but allows you to actually select and donate to a charitable cause. So you're not forced to engage with the brand or the ad. But if you do, if you view 15 seconds of the ad, a countdown clock shows up, and then you get to decide which charity that you can donate the fee to. And what I like about this is actually money coming out of the media spend, and it's treating me because I'm giving my time, my attention, but also my data. They're actually treating this as a transaction, which kind of sounds quite capitalistic. However, I'm all for it. For too long, my data has been given away for free. And so this actually might just treat me as a partner and and finding, instead of finding sneaky ways to use my data, they're actually treating me an adult, monetizing it. But me donating that to, to a great cause is just a great way of shifting the system, creating an ecosystem and a value exchange that disrupts the marketplace, but actually does good for the world. So now let's just scale up how we can spend and invest our dollars. And think about like the Wall Street and the capital providers and financiers out there. JP Morgan have recently announced, which is one of the big, big banks, big financial institutions, they've announced big moves to support the environment, including ending loans to the coal industry. Yes, it's a financial driven move. However, there are big shifts in how Jamie Dimon, their CEO, is leading that organization. And they've, there's a number of $200 billion specifically designated to funding climate and economic inclusion projects, and also steps to accelerate the transition to clean energy. 
So in addition to, to stepping back from advising companies that get most of their revenue from coal extraction or financing new coal-fired power plants, they're basically phasing out their credit exposure to that industry by 2024 and stopping funding any new or oil gas drilling projects in the Arctic. And so there's clear millions and billions of dollars now being shifted to support these better causes, which is great to see because that will shift the market and shift the impact on the world. Yeah, you're right there. It's not only consumers that will vote with their feet, it's institutional investors too. But interestingly, Sam, only 1% of all investment goes to female founder businesses. Um, so a staggering amount of work that needs to be done there, um, which I thought was, was quite an uh, interesting point as I came across uh, as I came across the sort of researching this sort of subject. But on more positive front is around ethical investment funds. There de definitely looks like an increase in ethical investment funds of various different shape of sizes. And that's for people who don't just want a return on their investments. They want their money to contribute to something good. One fund categorized into three types of funds, light green, medium green, and dark green, um, which uh, light green is the least restrictive. Um, well, uh, the dark green is the most restrictive, having ethical values run through the whole of the investment strategy. Um, again, you know, even that, that traffic light system feels a, feels a tiny bit marketing-led in a way. Um, but I, I, you have to applaud the fact that that is uh, a strong move. And, of course, you see consumer-facing banks actually start to operate in a similar way. Tridos Bank only offers investment types for companies that are working towards social, environmental and cultural change. Nutmeg, a brand over here, uh, socially responsible and investing. So there's some, there's some good examples at an institutional level, I think, where we are starting to see some changes. Yeah, you talk about the... The challenge and there's just the underinvestment and lack of investment in in and female founders and I'm just reminded of Backstage Capital, which is um, led by a black um, a black woman who is very vocal and she's been calling out the industry uh, about their lack of inclusion, but also the the facts that the industry just doesn't fund minority or female founders and she's doing something about it. And I'm inspired when I was younger and was by the Anita Roddicks of this world, who was a co-founder of The Body Shop, which is a beauty brand retailer, vocal activist for fair trade that she was and reputably sourced ingredients and which were chemical free and better for you in the environment. 20, 30 years ago, you know, people who shopped there were deemed a bunch of do-gooders and tree huggers. But fast forward to today, and we have this growing B Corporation movement. A quick reminder that B corporations are businesses that meet the standards of, of well-being, of doing good, of verified social and environmental performance. It's about being public, transparent, and, and the legal aspects are very open um, and, and accountability, really, about balancing profit and balancing purpose. It's about doing both. These brands and companies with a mission. So you've got Sir Kensington's, which is a sources and condiments brand, seventh generation household cleaner I mentioned before, All Birds in Shoes, Stumptown Coffee, Good Loop I just mentioned in the advertising space now, which is exciting to see apparel and retailer brands who are using sustainable materials or recycling plastic, which we've talked about before. Method, which is now an SC Johnson brand, and they're using achieving sustainability through design and they're this, they're certified cradle to grave organization with dozens of products which which meet that standard 
They've, they've invested in beach cleanups, um, working with recycling partners to create bottles made out of recycled um, um, products. But I, I wanted to just end this section for me talking about the Soulful Project. And you can find them online. You go online, thesoulfulproject.com. And that's a, it's a brand and a company that has created a wonderful experience and wonderful product lineup of hot cereals and, and foods. And it was started around four or five years ago by employees who were mem- employees of Campbell's Soup. And they were meeting, they were doing some research, meeting with families in Texas to learn about their food. And they were on the way to visit a family and they just decided in t- to go into one last home. And, um, you know, there was an area, a neighborhood was just clearly, you know, um, needed some support and a poorer neighborhood. And they walked in and they went into the, fo- the, the house and there was no food in the pantry. There was no food in the house, nothing as in zero. And they talked to the, the, you know, the resident and how she struggled to feed their family and how they um, were, were having a hard time. And that team went back to the office and did nothing for a year. And <laughs> out again, faced with a similar situation, they just felt, okay, what are we doing? We've seen this before and we did nothing for a year. And that led to the creation of the Soulful Project, which is um, the co-founders are Chip Heim, and Megan Shea, and their remarkable story of how they've brought their product to market and how every product you buy, there's a serving of, of, of um, you know, grain um, um, products, which is provided to, to consumers and donated to a food bank. And so their premise is the food that you buy for yourself with quinoa and oats and bran and all these wonderful ingredients, that's good enough for you, then it's good enough for someone who's in need. And so what you buy for yourself is essentially donated to someone, not the thing at the back of your cabinet, which is old and manky and you don't want. No, the thing you buy for yourself is going to be given to someone in need. They've got a national food network, food bank um, set up in the, in the US where it goes to someone local to you. And I, I just wanted to give them a huge shout out in terms of being a, um, you know, a woman led organization, a woman founded company with a co-partner Chip, who, who's male. But some of the stories she would tell of engaging with, with funders and companies, and they'd want to speak to the, the founder and they'd be looking right by her talking to Chip or someone else and, and she'd say, hey, I'm here, me, Megan, I'm, I'm the founder. And these stories, which it wouldn't be, if it wasn't so, so, so annoying, you know, you'd laugh about them and some of the challenges that they face. So again, I, I it's like a p- little PSA ad for the Soulful Project, but I think it's really important to, to vote with your wallet, to, to go check out their, their food products and support a good cause that is doing, um, doing something great for the world. Yeah, good, good. Well, uh, you've, you've, absolutely convinced me by that story that's for certain um do you remember that the, the action plan we went through last week sam i'm not going to go through it all again but there, there was a few things that i think still ring very true on this episode as well that mm. when we were looking at how marketing will have to adapt it will have to be sustainable any mission statements positioning and measurement will have to have a sustainable well-being message as well we just talked about attracting investment from consumers or investors. You will have to prove your long-term viability. It's not just about the business model. It's about the value you add back in. I think that's a really important point. Reassessing competition, we've just recovered that. But I think one other to focus on is is around a move away from that convenience se- sector until, unless it's a, a sustainable. And a sort of follow-on point about that is a focus on hyper-local and community. Um, I, I think 
as we've learned to embrace our local community again, I think we will see a, a rise in SME businesses and kitchen table businesses that that service that community. Uh, and we will also see that move away from mass produced to handmade and from global to local. You know, already, if you, if you just look at the share prices of Etsy and Shopify, um, since uh, the lockdown period, they've, they've gone way up. Shopify has become the go-to platform for businesses looking to reach customers online. Um, you know, in their first quarter revenues, it was up about 47% higher than the prior year, which is absolutely staggering. Etsy has a similar success story. And uh, and it's Amazon, of course, with their, their sort of handmade um marketplaces of getting in on the the act as well very successfully and again we come back to this there's a a game designer game illustrator that i know well who set up her own gift business uh, um, ameliaplayer.co.uk um it's absolutely fantastic what what she's done um already and and i think that entrepreneurial spirit in terms of trying to create something that that feels very personalized very handmade is is going to be alive and strong and we're going to see a, an abundance of businesses like that um so so yeah lots to look out for i think sam yeah i, I like i like some of some of those um, areas you called out there chris and i thought i'd, I'd wrap up my s- contribution i think to this show with just a a recap and of some of the elements and resources that people should be mindful of and i've said them before but i truly believe they're worth saying again how to think about tackling this space i think firstly whatever you do whatever you 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 go after be clear on what you stand for that's the first step secondly identify an issue that needs to be solved and tap into your network. If you're in a, in a corporate organization, bring together knowledgeable stakeholders, be it marketing, supply chain, design, corporate social responsibility, PR agencies, factory, um, plant, you know, operations people. Bring all those people together and really find an issue. Thirdly, keep yourself honest. Who's going to hold you accountable to uh, account and to your challenge and to your efforts. And there's a sustainable brands community. You can find them online if you search sustainable brands who've been doing this work for a number of years and have a number of resources. I say, fourthly, identify an issue that matters to consumers, really the target, the people you're trying to serve. What do they really care about? What do we know about their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations? And I'll refer again to the UN list of sustainable goals, which is definitely a resource. There's over 17, but I only call out a few of them. So there's one, goal three is about good health and well-being. Goal 10 is about reducing inequalities. And here we're seeing spaces such as adopting policies that support wage and social protection and achieve greater equality and now in the current COVID environment where these frontline workers are being paid more, that actually ties directly into this reduction of inequalities. And then goal 16 is about promoting peaceful and inclusive societies. And again, in the current environment, current, current climate, that's that's an area where your policies, your statements, your values, your actions in this space aren't just fluffy. They tie into what the United Nations is saying is going to make a better world. And then fifthly, it's not a one-off meeting, but it's a disciplined strategic process. You know, Unilever have had this 10-year commitment and when they stumbled, 
they just kept got up and kept going and doubled down and committed again to the future. So it's a, it's a strategic process and it's about commitment. Yeah, and that, that last point, Sam, just thinking about that 10-year commitment, you, you look at something like um, you know Bill Gates and Microsoft and you think, oh, well, that's, that's more like a sort of a, a lifetime commitment, a sort of certainly 40 years via Microsoft and then beyond. That, the, 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 uh, the Gates Foundation, largest private organization in the world, 46 billion dollars in assets um but but the purpose where it believes that everyone should be entitled to live a healthy and pro- um, productive life i think is is certainly there and as of 2018 they've donated over 36 billion to the foundation to fund research in areas and mm. and obviously with with the um coronavirus um have donated another 100 million um and you know of, of course as with all of these things um there, there are um, some doubters as well as some advocates there. Um, some people feel that although the $3 billion that he's given in the last 10 years to benefit hungry people, only 10% was spent in Africa, well, 80% was spent in richer countries, and, and apparently a quarter of a million pounds, or no, sorry, $250 million have been spent on media companies helping to sort of influence the news as well. But But look, you know, from my perspective, there's a, a lesson that we must always look for the balanced view, but sometimes with good news stories, people will look for the negative mm. angle as well, I think. And, and I think that's a, a good point to leave it, really, because the moral of all of these stories is that we all have a role, um, and that's about investing for the long term, and that's about um, you know, our personal, our business, or our society, uh, and that entrepreneurial spirit right through to established companies, through to institutional investors. Uh, so if you are a marketeer, you'd better make sure it's part of your toolkit and your purpose because it's it's got to be a core part of our future. So, Sam, uh, we let's just crack on with the top three takeouts of this because I think we might be over time. Chris, yeah, you're right. I'll just get to the three things. The first one I would say is that it's definitely a call to action to lean in to this space. Failure is common. I shared my failure story. I shared Unilever's challenges and struggles, but they've doubled down and they've committed. Don't stay on the sidelines. The second one is have a plan and a strategy. It's a priority. You have to put it into practice now. And then thirdly, see it as a long-term commitment. I told you the story of Soulful, which has grown over four years, then the Unilever 10 years, and we talked about the Gates Foundation with a 50-year ambition. You can be part of a multi-billion dollar movement by taking action. Great stuff, Sam. Good three points there. So look, next week's show, we're going to reflect, Sam. We're going to take a pause and we're going to look at the last 14 podcasts that we've done. Uh, when we when we decided that this, this uh, bunch of podcasts was going to be about the modern marketeer, I don't think we were quite anticipating where we would all end up. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. good to know that a lot of the predictions we've done um, actually have helped us uh, along the way already, I think. So, so looking forward to that, Sam. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I feel that we've put together a great season. And so next week's wrap-up, we'll, we'll tie a nice bow around it as we look forward to, to the following season. So as always, keeping us busy, Chris, and I'm super excited to get ready for next week's show. Until next week, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow 
subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.